You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and I can't believe that 2024 marks 10 years of podcasting. Over the last decade, I have had the pleasure of talking with hundreds upon hundreds of passionate outdoors men and women who share the same excitement for hunting as I do. Whether you hunt public lands or private property, shoot traditional archery equipment or high-powered rifles, we all have one thing in common, and that's our love for the great outdoors. This year, I plan on continuing that tradition and bringing educational and entertaining content to your ears. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you all have the best seasons of your life. Good vibes in, good vibes out. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go again. Another episode of No Foreplay right here on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Today, once again, we're joined, we're joined. God, I can't talk. I think I'm slowly fading into dementia, or at least that's how I feel some days. Like I'm on the cusp of my brain just going, nope, and shutting down forever. So I need to reboot it or or control alt delete my brain get a, a restart of some sort but maybe that's what shed hunting will do for me this year anyway troy pottinger from idaho he is a big buck slayer and if you've listened to any of these other episodes you know that he's passionate about what he does and that's hunt down big mature whitetails in his landscape so th- today's episode is about once you've gathered all the intel, once scouting is complete and you've picked out a target animal to go after, what steps do you need to take? Okay, we've, we've got him on trail camera. We've, we've maybe figured out his pattern, but now you have to move in and try to kill him. You gotta know access routes. You gotta know wind. You gotta know thermals. You gotta know um, where you believe this deer to be bedding and where is the food uh, food source, where's the travel corridor, and we cover all of that in today's episode of No Foreplay. Uh, Love having him on. Here pretty soon we're going to be flipping it and we're going to be having a new group of people come in uh, on the No Foreplay series and we're going to get perspective from others. whether it's from the south, whether it's from the north, east, west, you name it. Uh, it's, it's great to listen to people talk about it, but in order to get a full sense of what uh, any topic is like, you got to hear more people talk about a specific topic than just one, right? If you only listen to one person, you'll never be truly educated because that's just one person's opinion. You got to listen to another person who's been successful and then another person who's been successful. And then you can say, okay, well, I can relate to this person because they hunt in 
the same environment that I do. And maybe I should apply some of these principles that he uses or he or she uses on how they hunt. And that's how we become better. Okay. And so uh, before we get into today's episode, real quick, I'm going to run through the the partners here on the Nine Finger Chronicles. Uh, If you could do me a huge favor, just go visit their website, take a look at the products that these guys offer. And uh, if you decide to buy, either use one of the discount codes that I have available or just let them know, hey, listen, I, I, I heard Dan talk about your product on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. That would, that would mean a lot to me. Okay. So first off, if you're looking for a saddle, these guys have a ton of new gear coming out. Um, stay tuned for, uh, there's something big coming down the pipe at tethered so keep an eye out for that go visit tethered's website uh, check out their lineup of saddles platforms climbing sticks saddle hunting accessories everything that you need for saddle hunting next on the list wasparchery.com discount code nfc20 for 20 percent off and that is in my opinion some of the most well-built and well-designed broadheads with some of the best material possible, uh, fixed blades and mechanicals. Uh, Go check out wasparchery.com, Vortex Optics. uh, Go check out their new line of products that they've had over the course of the last year. And you can go to vortexoptics.com. Discount, uh, there's no discount code right now, but you know what there might be i will have that for you next episode uh vortex optics uh range finders uh spotting scopes rifle scopes obviously binoculars if you are looking for a high quality optic go check out vortexoptics.com code blue sense in this episode you'll hear me talk about the rope-a-dope system from code blue sense and how i have fallen in love with it over the course of the last season and it's going to play a huge role in how I approach not only stand locations, but identifying deer and deer movement. So go check out codebluesense.com, read up on the Rope-A-Dope system and all of their other real and synthetic uh, scents along with their scent elimination products as well. So codebluesense.com, discount code NFC20. Next on the list is the Woodman's Pal. It's a machete, it's a habitat tool, it's something that you should probably probably keep in your truck or your pack at all times that will allow you to hack tree limbs, uh, clear out trail camera locations, access routes, you name it. It's a made in America product. It's been made in America for its entire existence. And uh, it's a it's definitely a durable product. Woodmanspal.com. Check out some of their other leather goods that they have uh, on their website as well. And last but not least is Huntworth. In my opinion, some of the best layering systems for the most affordable price, right? So you hear when people talk about uh, these elite brands uh, that are out there, then you hear them talk about Huntworth. And Hunt. they say Huntworth is somewhere around the 90% of the quality for 50% of the price. So you're still getting a really good product. It's just more affordable. And so I can, I can attest to using it for a a entire year now that it's also very durable and I need that in, in my hunting clothing. And now I can say last but not least, dude, the Slayer T is out. The ninth or the, the full sneak website is up and running. We are shipping to Canada. Uh, go to fullsneakgear.com. Take a look at all of the shirts that I currently have available. I think my next move is going to be some hats, uh, but I do have the official Nine Finger Chronicles hat on the fullsneakgear.com website. Check out the Licking Branch T. Check out the full sneak bow hunting, um, the full sneak bow hunting uh, uh, crew neck sweater, the Slayer tee, the logo tees. Man, they're badass, and I'm surprised on how popular th- this company has become in the short period of time that I've had it up. So please go check out fullsneakgear.com. Go buy something there. Appreciate it. Other than that, good vibes, my friend. Here we go with another episode of No Foreplay. Three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of No Foreplay right here on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And today we have a returning guest, Mr. Troy Pottinger out of Idaho. How are we doing today? 
Good, Dan. Thanks for having me. And I'm going to help everybody with the pronunciation of my last name. Okay. <laughs> what is it? German. It's German. Uh, Pottinger. 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 Okay. There we go. Pottinger. I, I apologize. Yep. I've said it wrong no, no every worries. time until right now. So. <laughs> and, and, and Dan, Dan. I have, I've lived my whole life with that, especially growing, you know, every time my name would get called out at school for the first time. So yeah, yeah no biggie. So here's, uh, we had a, a kid who I went to high school with where his name, last name was so long. It was like Eastern European or something. And it went on his football Jersey from, they had to move it onto his sleeve. And so it made like a rainbow over, over there. Yeah. And so nobody ever. You know, everybody's, you know, my last name's easy. Hey, Johnson. Hey, Johnson. No one ever called him <laughs> yeah. by his last name. We just gave, we just called him by his initials. And so yeah. I might start doing that to you if I can't figure it out. Well, it's funny because I've been in education forever, 30 yeah. plus years. The kids call me Mr. P to Miss, keep it easy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. All right. No foreplay. Here is the topic of discussion today. The trail cameras have been out right we've done our scouting we we've now we have even identified a shooter that we want to go after how does mr p go about <laughs> fi- like killing getting making sure that that buck hits the dirt what's step 1 uh I, you know I'll, I'll use the last 10 that i've killed mm-hmm. uh target I always start with the question, is he killable? Okay. Is he, I mean, we identify the target, yeah, but is he killable? Which means, do I have him in a location that I can access, that I have public access to, to get him killed in the daylight? Am I in the right spot? Um, because, you know, my younger years, I chased a lot of whitetails around, always a step behind him. So yeah. my... My focus, like I don't even waste my time on a deer anymore unless I know he's killed or I or I feel that yeah. I'm in the game with him and he's killable. So I start with, I mean, the key, the key to killing one once you've got him killable, is you got to start with wind and entrance and exit strategy always. Okay. In my opinion. All right. Before how we, are you going to get in? Before we take, a, I'm sorry. I, I want to interrupt you because I feel like this is important. Dude. What makes a deer killable or not? For okay. me, for me, a deer is not killable unless I have him frequent daylighting. What is frequent and solid in the mountains on public land with heavy predation may be a little different than what some people would consider frequent in a, you know, a, a target rich environment. Um, So I'm looking for him to show himself comfortably in the daylight. And again, these are five, six, seven year old bucks Mm -hmm. that I'm targeting. So they're careful as shit. They're really careful. Yeah. I'm looking for him to frequent three to four times a week. Okay. Uh, Daylight killable. And every place that I have set up has built in windicators in my video screens. So my videos take intel of a buck's preferred wind that he comes in on, and every buck's different. So I get different bucks that enter spots, especially my scrapes in different spots. So, yeah, he's got to be frequenting a lot in the daylight, Dan, before I consider him killable, meaning a minimum of twice a week. Then I start to think, all right, you might be in trouble, buddy. But when they out here in these mountains hit that three – to four times a week, they're they're in trouble with me if they're daylighting. Okay. All right. So that makes it killable, right? Now you talked about wind and access and stand placement. Is out of wind direction, access route, and uh, stand location, is there one of those three things that carries more weight or is more important than the others? To me, Yes. The deer in this country, and because I've hunted all over, but my deer really trust their nose. Okay. So wind-driven wind access for them 
to get to me, which usually isn't very far away from where they're hanging out or hiding out at that exact week in time. So that wind drives them. That wind combined with thermals manipulates their movements. And they're not consciously thinking about this, but that's how they operate. Mm -hmm. So what I do is really study the wind and thermal mixes that manipulate them to me. And then I play off of that in my strategy of getting in and out when I need to be hunting them. Uh, closely followed behind, when I say wind, I'm talking weather too. Yeah. So wind and weather. Weather, I think, doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, we talk about moon phase. We talk about wind. We talk about all this stuff. The, tr the truth is, in my world, and I've seen it everywhere I've been, weather conditions are huge for getting a buck up on his feet and motivating him to want to move more in the daylight. So right. let's throw weather in there on that wind part, too. Temperatures, okay. weather, all, yeah. all the conditions combined. Yeah. So in Iowa... There are times, and it depends on if there is, you know, I'll just say the Midwest. Whether the sun is out or it's cloudy will determine what the thermals are doing. But depending on where you send up, predominant wind can trump all of those things because we don't have the massive elevation. So does, do thermals in steeper elevation play? Because I know when I go elk hunting, Thermals are almost everything. Uh, when I go to Colorado yeah. and, you know, you're up there at 10,000 feet. Are are thermals a big deal where you're at? Yeah, they're huge. I, I have to back up and remind people when I talk about wind, thermals might be 50 to 70% of what, what I mean mm -hmm. when I'm saying wind. Okay. My thermals will often overpower they're so strong in the mountain country because the heating of the earth and the mm -hmm. elevation gain, and it's, you know, the, the temperatures just in a thousand feet of elevation difference can be 10 degrees. Yeah. So if you calculate that into how thermals work, you get a big time thermal push almost every day of the year when you're hunting up an elevation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thermals mixing with prevailings, and I tend to hunt high spots, ridge lines, uh, finger ridges, top of the mountain crossings. Uh, I'm positioned in spots that help me get on an edge wind or thermal com combination that just misses a buck's favorite way to come in. Mm -hmm. But I'm able to get to that. He thinks he's safe. And the thermals and the mixing prevailing is protecting me just enough to get him killed when he thinks he's got everything duped. Yeah. Okay. And so your are your tree stand locations built like like cuz in the morning thermals come down and then the afternoon thermals go up, right? And especially in I know I'm talking about when I go elk hunting in Colorado, that's how that's how that works. Um do you put yourself in a position where the thermals could be going down or up and you're still in a good position for that buck? Yeah. Uh, good job of diving a little deeper. Yeah. My stands will be set or my tree that I pick to jump into and climb into, you know, hang and hunt in doesn't, doesn't matter. I will have a, usually have some type of terrain habitat based barrier mm -hmm. or feature that protects me um i use a lot of heavy timber blowdown patches that i'll put just off my thermal rise and descent that steer deer around me for example i can go in the snow and see the deer trails to my big scrapes and there will be one spot because there's a bunch of blowdowns or a bluff or a creek real steep face that the deer never walk through okay obviously i'm sitting in that corner yeah but i'm looking out beyond me if you will dan of multiple trails and multiple different options to come into where i'm set up and i always hunt in conjunction with a scrape year round from august to january i always have a big community scrape either a mock or an existing one that's already there so I've got natural generational deer travel wanting to be there anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. those barriers are huge. 
Yeah. They really help me. They really help me kill. Right. I'll say this. Like after that, do you remember the first time I ever had you on and we talked about your your style of hunting on mock scrapes and things like that? Well, yep. that this past season I hung out quite a few mock scrapes and I by one of them I put a trail camera. And every single deer, and I don't just mean buck, I mean every single doe, every single buck, every single fawn, I could just see their head pop up at the bottom of the camera, came to investigate that licking branch. That Well, I, I use a system called Rope-A-Dope, uh, the Rope-A-Dope system with uh, yeah. a Code Blue Sense, right? And so yeah. that, dude, it blew my mind. It blew my mind how effective that is and so after that conversation that we had i this this spring uh early summer maybe i'm gonna go in when i start to adjust my tree stand locations and i'm gonna put a mock scrape with with uh, a licking branch within shooting range of every one of my tree stands and dan i have seriously even when i was first learning because i live in idaho Mm -hmm. And there's no baiting allowed. Yep. I've done that for 40 plus years, but really worked on it seriously for the last 30. Mm-hmm. It's funny you bring it up, and I'm glad you brought it up. If you and I were having this conversation 30 years ago, I used to have people <laughs> laugh at me and think I was <laughs> just full of shit, telling them that white-tailed deer address licking branches and the whole herd will year around if they feel safe there they'll do it in the daylight if they feel safe so that's the next step hang those hang those sets and build those mocks where they feel where all the deer herd feel safe in the daylight if you can you know if you have that if you have that piece of land that has the habitat on it the everything that you know the security covers huge Mm -hmm. all of my setups dan are really tight to security cover but they're just out in the open enough and when i say open i mean open in the timber enough yeah to get that shot to get that good clean shot so when you say up against uh thick timber are you getting at edge Brush. i mean edge is that yeah. like like yeah. edge from thickness to more wide open yeah okay. i i always said in thick timber in every direction of me but in our mountains, we have these little reprieves where there's a look, maybe there's a little spot. And when I say little, say a 30 by 30 spot at the biggest that just doesn't have a tree growing, mm-hmm. but it'll be full of brush. And I could get into all those species, but we don't have time for that. I look for those heavily brushed, underbrushed mm-hmm. timber thickets that are in really good hideout places for hermit bucks okay to live and not be bothered it usually has to do with the elevation because elevation kills most hunters most guys won't hide hike straight up a mountain forever to kill a deer with a bow yeah so i target those edges yes that have habitat edge again i'm in a huge canopy of timber for miles right but i'm dissecting the the micro pieces of those of that layout with heavy underbrush and that dark timber that deer like to, that my old bucks like to travel in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so, embedded. and so we got the, the wind and the weather. Okay. And then you mentioned access. All right. Yes. How do we now we, okay. So in order to know what access route you need, you have to follow the wind and the weather, right. And the thermals. Right. And the intel I get on the deer telling me how to kill him. Yes. Okay. All right. So how do you put the access route plan together? So what I do is I take every piece of information from reading his trails and tracks. I have all the bucks that I kill. I know their track and I get a lot of snow and then muddy trails. So every buck I kill, I know exactly what his foot looks like. And most of my bucks I've, watch them and condition them on my scrapes for multiple years not always but usually at least two years okay so i really get to know them 
and I pay very close attention to how he's accessing me, my spot, to try to kill him in the daylight that I've chosen. Mm -hmm. And then I break down, you know, I really visualize in my mind where he's betting, where he's traveling from on different days, on different winds, where specific doe family groups live, and where good feed is for him, which is pretty much everywhere in these mountains. They can kind of pick and feed wherever they want on browse. Yeah. I put all that into an equation, and then I literally break it down in my mind and on a physical map, and just like a football coach would, drawing up plays, I lay out my plan of where I'm going to drive to, where I need to park for so that my rig is probably at least a mile from him so he doesn't hear my rig park at 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning. I don't want to tip him off, let's say, if he's bedded in elevation above me. And out here in the mountains, a, a deer, a whitetail or an elk can hear you driving up into a drainage from miles away. Yeah. So I go to the extent. My pickups have big mufflers and hardly make any noise. They're super quiet. I park, and I'm either hiking or if I have the advantage of being able to e-bike up an old logging road, I'll do that to get close and quiet, but usually I end up hiking, Yeah. but I use my e-bike wherever I can. But this plan is mapped out Yeah. and it's based on what the prevailing wind and the thermals are gonna do to get me to the tree that I know I can kill him in. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay. And so how long did that take you to figure out? And, and you can use one set uh, as an example or just in general of, of how, you, how you've learned this, how long it took you to learn this throughout the years. You mean just like really how long did it take me to really make this a number one priority to kill? Yeah, I'll, I'll use an example. For me, it took me 10 years from 2006 to 2016 for me to understand deer movement and deer behavior. I don't know. I'm not going to say I, I can sit here and I know everything, but I can tell you that for me, I can walk into a timber. I can visualize wind direction, visualize thermals, visualize um, uh, deer movement on the landscape, giving me an idea of where I need to set up in any terrain feature in any on any of the farms that I hunt, right? Now it, it's easy for me now because I've done it for so long. So, right. so how for me, it took 10 years. Like how long did it take you to come up with this uh, process that you're currently implementing every year? That's that's a great question. Uh, Dan, how old are you? I'm 43. So from 33 to 43, do you feel like you really figured it out? Absolutely. That's a yeah. That's as you were talking about that, it brought me back to my younger years, and I I started killing very consistently the the old mature highest caliber bucks in the mountains out here. I started killing them in about 96 and 97 i started but i got really dialed at about 2002 and three which was i was 33 years old so if i go back 10 years before 33 i think that's a real fair number 10 years mm -hmm. of of just making mistakes wondering why 
I couldn't get on the, the best deer in my area. And then having some success and I've always been super analytical. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly questioning myself. I never know it all. I'm mm-hmm. always trying to learn. Uh, I'm probably harder on myself than anybody else is. So, yeah, I would say a good solid decade from the age 23 to 33 is where I really figured it out. As soon as I got out of college, Dan, wasn't playing football, didn't have that schedule, and could just, you know, there's an old cowboy saying, put 10,000 miles in the saddle and you'll get it figured out. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I'd say about a decade for me, and that's when I really started knocking down the best of the best that I could find it in this country. So yeah. yeah, it took me a long time. And I would even say from 43, so let's go 10 years of killing a lot of deers from 30 deer. Gee, Christmas, can't believe I said that. 10 years from killing a lot of deer from 33 to 43 was really good. And then I think the, and I want to say this, I, I don't ever get to say this. I think the best thing I ever did from 43 to 54, which is 11 years now, is I quit listening to anything on the outside noise that did not agree with what my deer were showing me. Yes. So from 43 to 54, I only pay attention to the whitetails wherever I hunt. Yeah. Of course, I, of course, and that's not meaning I'm not listening to other great hunters. What I mean is I quit doing the, I quit jump buying into any type of, hot trend or bingo or some un- so convinced something that just people say you can't do i just totally shut all that out and let all the animals show me so what am i really doing i'm really paying attention in depth in the last decade to every micro piece of sign that's out there instead of just thinking i oh yeah i can do this i know where to go no I, i'm like when i was in ohio last couple weeks ago I felt like I was 23 again because I made myself just start with tracks and I made myself break it all down. Like I did when I was in my thirties and forties, figuring it out. But what, what I'm trying to get at, and I'm sorry for taking so long, the mindset has changed for me. Never let anything bother me mentally, really listen to my deer. I stay positive when it's not working but don't play with the insanity game where you keep doing the same thing over and over that never works exactly like i i don't waste my time on anything that i can tell isn't going to work yeah yeah hey, amen so i'd say 10 good years though 10 yeah. good years dude you nailed it uh, that answer is awesome and i'll tell you why because all of the media that i consumed in the 90s was like I thought that yeah I the big bucks hung out on field edges. I thought that I needed to have a food plot or hunt on some on you know corn to be successful. And it really wasn't until one day I was just like, "Hey man, I, I it was it basically was a maturity thing." And it was my brain telling me, "Dude, you don't hunt like the way the 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 content that you're consuming. You don't hunt anywhere close to that. The deer don't do the same things. They're not conditioned. They're not on high, uh, uh, low pressure properties, right? They're, they're, they're pressured. And I'm not going to say high pressured, but they're pressured animals and you have to hunt pressured animals. You can't hunt. You can't hunt like you're hunting low pressure animals. You got to hunt a different way. And so what I did was I started focusing more on the way what my deer herd was doing, mm-hmm. which led, which not only led me to time of year that I att- do like a lot of attacks. Like I'm not an early season guy. Why? Because a majority of the mature bucks uh, in the early season are not, here's the buzzword, killable, right? They're all nocturnal. And then as the year goes on, they start to show themselves and then I can start paying attention to them. And so it's, uh, it's something that I've, I have, I've had to sit down and really absorb the landscape, the ecosystem, the deer herd and pay attention to them, 
not the outside noise like you said um yeah and so when it comes to a plan of attack this is a a question that i've always wanted to ask somebody do you think that trail cameras or other electronic or uh devices like uh let's just say digital mapping like hunt stand or onyx or things like that i use both of those you use you probably use both of those but as as someone is trying to learn what we it took us 10 years to learn do you think that those types of products actually hinder a hunter's education well from a woodman's woodsmanship point of view 100 percent. because i got to grow up through it all yeah absolutely didn't even know or there was no technology at all when i started nothing yep which can't even believe what we have accessible to us nowadays yeah like it blows my mind right so yeah i i think the woodsmanship that i built started when i was 11 years old moved to my place in northern idaho little ranch 50 acres and i started just hiking free hiking and picking up sheds at 11 years old today uh when you think about hunters that dive into this and have all this social media to listen to and have all these gadgets to use to help um do i think it definitely helps them find the deer yes does it make them a better deer hunter and better woodsman absolutely probably not because it's a it's a jump over you're skipping you're skipping up and over those boots on the ground learn with your brain and your eyes and you you know you don't get the senses of it you don't take in the the smells of the air and how the wind works different and what it feels like on a different day if you're not out learning all of that like i did in the past without ever having a camera you know i i didn't even use binoculars till the 2000s yeah it was just 100% reading tracks and walking through the woods and looking at scrapes and finding sheds. Yeah. That's what I did in the 80s and 90s. That's yeah. all I used. Okay. And the reason I didn't use glass, Dan, is because I honestly live in a place that that d- glass isn't real beneficial in the huge forest canopies. It's just yeah. you don't see them anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. Is, yeah, I think is, it is. is it what can be an hindrance. Yeah, is what you're hunting considered dark timber? Oh yeah. yeah okay. I, I have to crawl out of my tree stand a lot of times because the legal shooting light isn't even up yet, but I can't see my pins. Yeah. Okay. So I'm out before legal shooting light five minutes, 10 minutes sometimes because yeah. of where I'm set up. Okay. All right. So let's say, let's say you go in for an attack on a, on a buck that you've every, all signs point to, this deer is going to die tonight and you're in the tree stand something happens wind swirls um thermal shift i don't know any something happens maybe you you tick your arrow on a piece of metal or I, whatever the case may be he gets jumped right. and he goes away what does a reattack on that same deer look like well the key is if he gets jumped and i know it yeah if i know that i buggered him then with the caliber and age of deer, the age of deer I hunt, I'm usually having to move on him or give it several days and just leave him alone to see if he's even willing to come back into that spot and feel safe in the daylight. Now, there's different types of bumping a deer. We've talked about it. There's a bump that a buck is, an old buck is like, hmm, that's not quite right, but I'm not quite sure what that is. I didn't smell anything real bad, but boy, if they wind you and they know it's you mm-hmm. out here, can't speak for everybody else, but out here, I'm probably out of the game unless I move on him mm-hmm. or have a, and what I do because of this, and it doesn't happen very often, but because of this, I have sentinel spots set up for when my target bucks need to move to another safe zone. So sometimes I'll pick them up on another spot a couple days later, if okay. you will. 
Yeah. And then and then I'll see if I can jump it, jump in there, make the plan. You know, it's a game plan. Put the yeah. game plan together, go kill him if he shows up in the daylight. Yeah. How many times would would you say in the last ten years, maybe even a little uh, longer than that, have you bumped a deer and then had another opportunity to kill him or killed him? Let me back up. Okay, so this year, no, 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 no. I don't, I'm looking at the last 10 years on the wall here. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think, Dan. I don't know if I've bumped one that knew it was me okay and had another chance yeah uh, not not that you know of i anyway. and i talk about it pardon me not that you know of anyway right not that i know of okay. now okay there's a couple bucks that i went in to hunt that i wanted to kill but they were so random and so nomadic in these mountains that I was never really in the game with them, and I knew yeah. it in the back of my mind, but they were daylighting a little bit. But I do want to say this. I believe one reason why I take that one chance so seriously, and I probably shouldn't say this word on camera because I'm a teacher, <laughs> but let's just say in my mind, I know I can't F up that first shot, that yep. first chance. Yep. If – um. I believe that is why I'm so detailed and, and I make sure I get them killed. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, it's like, well, let's go back four years. I shot over a buck at 16 yards. I thought he was at 20. I'm up pretty high. Totally on me. Shot right, shot right over him. Um, that buck didn't come back for probably 15 days to that location. And that was after season was over and he felt the coast was clear. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's the only one I can think of yeah. in the last decade that I didn't kill. Yeah. That's the only buck I didn't kill in the last decade. And Dan, I have had my target buck come through, not get, I don't get a shot at him, but I don't spook him. So yeah. he had no idea I was there. Now that's happened a couple times, but that's a different scenario than what you're asking. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, I, I'm looking back at the deer that I've killed throughout the last, you know, since 2006. And in 2012, I bumped a deer, but I wasn't in the stand, right? I was doing some in-season scouting, bumped this big buck up, which made me move into his bedding area. Uh, one day went by, didn't see anything. Next day went by saw saw him um come out of the bedding area and go the opposite direction and then the next morning uh he ended up coming in and i snort wheezed at him and he ended up coming in and i shot him but very rarely have i ever i'm trying to think of any other deer that i've shot over the last just even 10 years that i bumped and i got a second chance at right before another shooter right. caliber deer came along right and so very very rarely in the same season have i ever bumped a deer or they they sent they caught my scent they ran away very rarely did i ever get a second chance at that except for this year believe it or not where <laughs> i got busted by them once like 3 days earlier made some moves made some moves, got in a different tree in the same little pinch. He ends up, yep. he ends up coming through and guess what? I shoot him high and now he's dead because the neighbor shot him during muzzleloader season. And so I was, uh, at least I know he's dead, but, but still like, uh, I got lucky with those two types of encounters, uh, with, with having two encounters with this deer. But after I hit him, he went MIA nocturnal for a very long time. And that's a, that's a little bit different than than spooking a deer or bumping a deer. Right. But right. you know what I mean. So um, outside of that, I, 
outside. I got to jump on that, Dan. Yep, go ahead. <laughs> you make a really good point. First of all, we're talking about mature deer, mm-hmm. old deer. Yep, yep. You and I both are. We're talking about moderately, minimum, moderately pressured to pressured deer to highly pressured yep. between the two of us. Mm-hmm. We're talking about these bucks that don't tolerate much. I think on your end, you're talking about that, and I'm definitely talking about that. Yep. And I do think, I, I say this a lot out loud, you got to fool them. And I think you fooled that deer when you moved mm-hmm. because he still came through your pinch, but you weren't where you were the first time, and you got that opportunity on him. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I felt like when I was in Ohio, and I was only there eight days to, to try to kill and I wanted to unearth a big deer, and I finally did. I felt like out there, especially in that hardwoods setting with crops mm-hmm. everywhere, cut corn everywhere, I felt like out there you definitely, because you're not lit, you know, you're not hunting a huge amount of acreage. So I definitely think you have to fool them, move around on them a little bit. That's why I think mobility is so important right. in those kind of habitats. Right. Back to the deer that I was talking to you about earlier that that I missed, I actually had him a week earlier at 20 yards broadside, and I drew my bow, and it was almost zero degrees out. And my arrow, because of my rest, which I didn't notice, had a thin layer of ice on the rest. It had, my whole bow had iced up because we get a lot of precipitation and freezing fog. So when I drew, my arrow made this weird little noise that a deer should never hear, and it didn't sound like metal on metal, but that made him walk away from me. And, you know, I could have took a Texas heart shot, but I, I'm not doing that. Yep. Anyway, that same deer that I missed, that kind of a bump was not a spook, but he didn't like what he heard, so he did return. Well, that's good. Oh man. Um, anything else as far as detail, uh, details to, you know, putting a move on a big deer once you've located them and kind of put together a pattern on them that we, we haven't discussed. Yeah. I'll just go over what I've killed the last half a dozen with. Uh, I, depending on where you're at and how far you got, got a hike and all that, I go to the the deepest detail I can because I usually only get that one chance and it's then it's either there I kill them rarely see them twice yeah. uh, I uh, always make sure that I stop if I'm on a longer hike in I always pack extra clothes I completely change my clothes out if I broke a sweat anywhere on a big deer if I break a sweat I got a rule. All that stuff's coming off. I'm airing out. I'm going to be perfectly clean, even if it's four in the morning in the dark in a rainstorm. I do not care. I get perfectly clean that last three to 400 yards to the stand site or where I'm going to set up. And I go in dry and I go in careful, calm. And I always, I really like to. Depending on what the situation is, like to use some type of terrain barrier to get me to my stand that deer hardly can see me approaching from. Yeah. So I'm super clean. We all, Ty and I always talk about it. You got to get in clean out here. No sound, no scent, no visual. That's the keys. And when you get into your spot and there's no sound that they picked up on. There's no scent that they picked up on. There's zero visual that they picked up on. And they've been daylighting. They're probably in trouble Yeah. if they come through that day. Yeah. Then, of course, I've got that wind and those thermals. Almost all my kills, almost all of them, Dan, you know, if I had to do a percentage, I'd say 85%. I kill my big, mature mountain bucks on an edge wind. My scent stream almost always misses them by 10 to 30 yards off their nose where they come in at almost always. Now that takes a lot of scouting and knowing your buck that you're trying to kill. Yeah. Cutting the wind, right? Yeah. It's right off that edge, man. Been doing it for decades. Yeah. For decades I've been doing it and you could screw it up easy too. Oh yeah. That's what happened this year. Deer got a little too close to the, the scent cone and he got me. Yep. 
And yep. you take those risks, right? It's risk versus reward. You take the risk. You you put yourself in a position where the deer feels very comfortable. And a lot of times he takes five, ten more y- steps over to one direction and you're going to get busted, right? And so I've had to learn that the hard way several times, but I've also benefited from it several times. And so it's it's definitely a risk. Yeah, and when you've got your terrain-based barriers already calculated into that equation, you're set up perfectly with those as you, as you can get. Mm-hmm. You've got an entry and exit that is 100% covert. And I mean, like this year, I, I literally walked the back side of the mountain, the backside, because I knew that buck I was trying to kill was bedded on the other side of the mountain. So I came up the long way, the hard way, the backside, and popped up into my stand on this big mountaintop flat uh, with great cover, great security, great feed, great bedding, everything. I'm purposely set up there where all things a big whitetail likes is dynamite. Yep. And then the wind was cutting. And when he came in, when he came in to my location that morning, I also had the benefit of a little buck standing over way off wind of me that he saw. He was actually headed by me. And there's a trail that Jay hook and come up to my scrape on. Well, the truth of the matter is I had the best bait in the world standing there. I had this little buck standing over to my left. And that big deer way back in the timber scented him, smelled him, then picked his head up way back in there and saw him. And then I knew he was in trouble because I knew what he was going to do. He come come up into there and didn't even go to my scrape. He went right to that little buck and he had his ears back, back in the timber when he came up. Awesome. Awesome. So, So you want everything working around you too. I mean, think about the... Think about the spots like you guys hunt with way more does than I have. You have to you have to not screw up all those animals you don't want to shoot. Exactly. Yep. Same thing happens when I go to South Dakota and I'm spotting stalking through mule deer country. It's just like there's eyes everywhere, and mm-hmm. you're, it's so hard to get in shooting range of these animals, especially when you have to go through deer that you don't mm-hmm. want to kill. So I, yeah. dude, I get that. I get that. Well, my friend, uh, first off, I want to say thank you for taking time out of your day to not only do this episode, but all the episodes that you've done uh, for for this No Foreplay series that we've been doing. And uh, this is going to be the last one for a little while as it is now scouting season for you. So good luck out in the woods. I hope you locate another giant and uh, put one in the dirt this uh, next fall. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate you having me and I enjoyed this series. Take care.